This is Season 3, Episode 9 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or player, you'll find advice, ideas, and strong opinions. Tonight's episode is a system dive on Pathfinder 2E, or we don't need no OGL. Hello everyone again, this is Mastering the RPG, as I said, a tabletop RPG podcast. We're going to talk about advice, ideas, cool stuff, opinions, that's kind of what we're all about. I'm Carl with my co-host tonight, Eric. Uh, James is uh, kind of busy, he is a busy, busy guy. He's got lots on his plate right now, so just Eric and I are going to get together tonight. Um, if you want to find information about the show, go to the masteringtherpg.com. If you want to send us feedback or questions, go to GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com. So, it's good to be on the mic with you. I think we missed a week getting together. So, hey, Eric, yeah. how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, you know, holiday season is over, so games have stuttered up again. <laughs> I went for a good, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I went for over a month of just no games whatsoever. So, um, yeah, it, yeah it was, it's uh, good to be back. <laughs> it was many, many weeks, many, many weeks. So, yeah. And I didn't think a lot about uh, like prepping and getting ready and games yeah. and stuff. So it was just, it was just a complete mental like relaxation from, from gaming. Though I s still had to do videos and stuff like that, but um, just getting ready and doing games and kind of rusty when we got together this week. Felt kind of rusty on a little <laughs> on our bit. Plane, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But we did have, I thought we had a pretty interesting, we might talk about this another time, but we had kind of an interesting thing happen between us, right, in, in this game, where it was, like, something that we knew for my character, for, like, mechanical things that I chose, we wanted to, like, role play that out. Well, and it was almost like uh, we, bo we both were just completely improving off each other. Like, you let me have a lot of leeway, which is, like, you know, unique for a game master at times. Some game masters don't like that. Uh, but in this sense, you really let me kind of roll with it, and then I threw it back to you, right? Yeah, it's pretty interesting, yeah. I thought. Yeah. Yeah, so what we're talking about is, uh, so I think you embraced, um, so, so, so you, you know, this, we can talk about 2E Pathfinder, but hey, tell a little bit about this. This is a great story. <laughs> I think people will want to hear it. It's, it's really cool. So um, this is a Savage Worlds game, and so you picked a yeah. new edge um, for kind of an arcane background eggs, right? Um, yeah, I picked the, the Sorcerer Edge when the Sorcerer in Savage Pathfinder is linked to these bloodlines. And this was both a mechanical decision on my, my part, but also it fit the kind of backstory that we we're coming up with, that my Lizardfolk character was, um, you know, he was an outcast because he was so different from the rest of the kind of out, more alligator-like Lizardfolk. And it's been kind of a thing. Um, and uh, I knew ahead of time that I wanted to have a hag influence, that this this hag... Um, influenced my egg um, early on, and that's why I was so different. And so talking about with Carl, we, we were always talking about, okay, when are we going to kind of introduce this? So, like, I took the edge, but then we just were like, okay, this is not the right time. So we kept, like, delaying it. Uh, but we, we talked a little bit about it, right? And, um, yeah, uh, so it was like, when are we going to, like, show this happening? And I've been, like, role-playing it out, I think, at times, like, me showing these cracks in my training um, of me acting, like, more violent or more... Um, more cruel a little bit, right? right um, so this right. is kind of the buildup of that, that nobody really knew, none of the other party members really knew what was going on. And I think oh, this yeah, hit them totally out of left field, right? Yeah, and they were <laughs> like, 
when it happened, they were like, what? Holy smokes. When they came across you. Yeah. Because you, because you ended up kind of embracing a little bit as you're learning this, that you were like being almost possessed. I don't know if that's the right term, but you were like being pulled in and you were being transformed and they showed up and they were like, what? What the heck is going on? <laughs> it was it was just fantastic. <laughs> and it, it got fantastic. real dark. I mean, yeah, and it was funny because it took way longer than I thought it would because yeah, it, yeah. part of it was just like like they were such a classic D and D party of let's spend an hour talking about leaving the camp or what are we going to do with the villagers <laughs> or me and Carl both just just leave just leave just leave the people behind just go it's fine you know but they like weren't going it was pretty funny. Um, that was hilarious. But yeah, it, but it was cool because, like I said, I, we, me and Carl talked about it a little bit beforehand, what's going to happen. And like, he surprised me on what like, oh, this is like compelling me. So I was like, okay, so I kind of ran with it. Right. And then I was like, Carl, can I say something? And you were like, yeah. And then I, so I set the scene, like I started taking over a little bit of like the forest is transforming into a swamp that they were in. Um, and then Carl like kind of took the ball off of that and then threw it back to me with like, I set the scene of like, oh, there's just like, they, it's when they came to this clearing, I had tied up this orc prisoner um, pinned to a tree that had a big face in it. And yeah, it was like, it got real dark and violent. So that was cool. And then, and then you were like, okay, combat. You're like, you're going to, she wants you to defend her. And I was like, okay, like I didn't expect that to happen. Right. So it, it was cool. It was, but it was the whole session, but I, but I thought it was pretty, I thought, I, I think everybody enjoyed it mostly. Yeah, I think everybody had a good time. It, it obviously was an interesting way of uh, coming back because this was our comeback from from break, basically. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. it was an interesting way to start it off. And it almost felt like a palate cleanser a little bit, even though we hadn't been playing. It was just something completely yeah. different than what we had been doing, which was, you know, go find something and, um, you know, more classic fantasy kind of explore, learn something, save the villagers, stuff like that. So, so it was very cool. Very cool. So anyway, that was, that was a lot of fun. So, um, yeah. So I don't have any email this week and I do, I did get a new book, uh, called, so you want to be a game master or do you want to be a dungeon master? I don't know. I'm going to read it on my trip coming up. Uh, okay. then, then I'll talk about it in our cool stuff found, but, um, a lot of buzz around it. So we'll see how good it is. So anyway, how about we get to the uh, main topic? All right, everyone, we're at the main topic. And tonight we are talking about Pathfinder 2E with a little, uh, fla- little flavor of the remastered in there. Um, not a lot, but talk about 2E. And so just like we did recently with our deep dive on uh, Call of Cthulhu, we'll do something similar on Pathfinder. Just, again, kind of a palate cleanser of let's learn about a game and <laughs> and kind of dig deep into it. So I- I'll... Since since I've only played 2E a little bit here and there, um, I'm going to ask Eric, why don't you give the elevator pitch for the game? Yeah, I mean, it's it's high fantasy D20. I mean, right? It's, it's roots are in D&D from Pathfinder 1E. Um, but they they made, a, you know, it, 2E was a much more, like where 1E was pretty much, right, D&D 3.5. Yep. 2E really, really kind of broke free in a lot of ways. Um, it's still a D20 game. There were still a lot of those uh, sacred cows, is that what they call it, right? Say, like There was a lot of those yeah, yeah. remnants remnants from D&D still in it. And But you talked about the remaster, which now a lot of those things are gone. Uh, but like you'd be very familiar 
right? If, if you play D&D with this game. Uh, I would say the main setting, which is Galarian, Galarian is like a million settings in one. I mean, it's totally crazy. Like there's uh, like elves are aliens and, um, you know, there's moons with things on them and there's, there's high, there's technology. There's like a spaceship that's crashed somewhere. Like it's a very big world. Um, and it's so some people like that. Some people don't, but the main setting, which is the, um, inner sea setting is kind of your classic, more classic, you know, high fantasy, but there is a lot of twists in there. Like I personally, why I like, the, the normal D&D setting, I, I, I do think the inner sea setting is more interesting. I think a lot of the lore is more interesting. A lot of the politics I find more interesting. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's basically it. I mean, right, and, yeah. No, oh, yeah. So I think we've all, you know, most people probably listening have played D&D at some point, so they probably know the answer to this question a little bit. So, but <laughs> is it more of a narrative game, a crunchy game, kind of a little of both? A sprinkle of this, a sprinkle of that, yeah, you know. I mean, compared to 5e, it's definitely more crunchy, like the hands down. I mean, there's the, the big thing about it compared to 5e is while 5e doesn't doesn't have a lot of rules really to like uh, adjudicate things, 2e there, there is rules to adjudicate pretty much most things. And it's not, they did do a good balance of not making it like, there's not, like the basic rules aren't too much to understand, but there is like, a ruling on most things, if that makes sense. So like, you know, you can run this without learning the whole thing, the whole book, you can run the game. But if you have a question about something like, oh, wh what does this mean? Or what does this do? There's usually an answer for that already. Um, yeah. yeah, the main book so, yeah, is about it, it, 680 pages. So there's a lot it's big. of content. It's big. There's a lot of content. But they also put like a lot of, there's a lot of character features in there too. I'm much more than D&D. &D. Um, you know, magic items, classes, all that stuff, feats. Right, it's it's all about feats. So, um, yeah. So, uh, so, I think we understand the genre of the game. So, let's yeah. talk about when I started doing this. How friendly is it for a new player? And then we'll talk maybe GM, but a, a new player. I found it a little um, coming from Savage, you know, playing a lot of Savage Worlds. It, it felt yeah. a little. Uh, a little daunting to start with when we walk through the character originally building a character, but I'm sure it, for it, sure. I'm sure it gets easier once you go through it once or twice, then it just becomes simple. So how, how yeah, is it I, for I, a new player? I, I th actually think it's probably, f I mean, a new player to the tabletop hobby, at, you know, maybe that's, that's probably too much. Um, the, the beginner box is really good though. I think <clears throat> why it was more daunting for you is that we were like, we were doing an overview of the whole system. The actual character creation process is very straightforward and very simple to do, I think. And even comparing to Savage Worlds, well, there's definitely a lot more going on with Pathfinder, um, where Savage Worlds has, you know, there, with Savage Worlds, you have edges, which are feats of another name, right? Um, yep. but it's totally open besides the prerequisites We're we're in Pathfinder 2E. And this is also compared to Pathfinder 1E. Um, there's all these feats that you can take that, and they're, but they separate them into buckets. So there's like ancestry feats, there's like class feats, there's skill feats, and you take them at different times. So it's not quite as overwhelming as you might think. Um, I think it's easy to get like to, to get maybe overwhelmed by all the options, but when you actually just get into the nitty gritty, um, it, it's pretty straightforward to make a character and to understand the basic rules, it's really not that complicated. So I do think it is new player friendly, with kind of a caveat of, 
you know, maybe do the beginner box first or play in a group that people already know how to play. I think that would be what I recommend. Um, there's also a ton of like, you know, all of Pathfinder 2E rules are for free online um, in, with uh, Nethys, the site Nethys, and that's sponsored by Paizo. It's not done by Paizo, but it's it's allowed by them, which is totally different from, you know, D&D, &D, right? Um, so yeah. all the rules there are available and very easy to find often. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's one of those things where a new player can get, can feel like they're overwhelmed, but it, but if they have somebody help them go through it, then it's not as really as hard as you think it is. If that makes sense for game masters, I don't definitely do not think it's for a new GM. Not at all. I think that you should get some experience with some other games under your belt first before you necessarily go into it. But the beginner box is, they did a really good job with the beginner box. So, um, for sure, I think that that is that that can be something that you could use as a new GM. So a lot of the there's a lot of D and D groups, and and actually James, our our partner in crime yeah. here, he does a lot of games for younger, um, I'll say you know children, uh, you know getting getting into their teenage years kind of thing, yeah. and um, so they do a lot of D and D so that obviously D and D is kind of okay for kids is Pathfinder kid friendly, good for kids, a little too complicated, a um, little too. Yeah. I, I would definitely say um, teenagers probably fine, especially if, if they play the game, if they play games, you know? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think people, uh, kids now are a lot more savvy anyways for these type of things than, you know, definitely your generation, I think, but also my generation, right? Well, I'm, my, I'm my generation's when it started. Nobody knew what the heck yeah, they were doing. Yeah, when it started. And, <laughs> and now, I mean, video games, there's so many video games. There's so many table CRPGs, um, and, and there's so many, you know, I just think it's, yeah, I, I think kids can do it, but definitely older teenagers. But like I said, there's a lot of, there's also a lot of apps that make character creation easy. Um, things like Foundry, which is the best way to play Pathfinder online. Um, it, there's a free module for it that's fan based and it's excellent. It makes playing a lot easier, um, and that helps with you know kids. Kids now are much more savvy on the computer, so I, I think yes and no, right? I would definitely not say pre high school unless they're really experienced. Um, there's there's some ways to kind of quote unquote dumb it down. I mean, it's not really the right term, but um, simplify. There's a, a little bit. There's some ways to simplify it for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I I would definitely say right D and D is definitely better for that five E. So there are some things about it, like for example, the action economy being very specific yeah. and consistent, and versus D and D has you know I don't know it's got actions and reactions and some other thing and this and that the bonus actions which yeah. is a f which is kind of a fail. I think people generally agree it's kind of a failure. I know even the developers talk about it that way that. It's, it's always people are always looking to what they can do for bonus action. And, you know, it's not that hard once you start playing, but there has been with new players, they get confused by that. Or it's not, yeah, it's not the best mechanics to leverage for sure. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I'm an old school D&D guy where zero hit points, uh -huh. you're dead. So how deadly is Pathfinder 2E? And you can it's, compare it to D&D &D or Pathfinder 1 or, yeah. you know, <clears throat> it, it, it's pretty, it can be pretty deadly. Um, there's a couple of different reasons for that. Um, one of the main ones is the uh, there's no yo there's no yo-yoing really for um, going down. It's not it's not like OGL like or sorry uh, old school gaming of, OSR um, OSR thank you. It's not OSR like yeah I go to zero hit points and I'm dead instantly. 
But there's a mechanic where every time that you're you come out of your dying state, you get a wounded condition, and that builds. And your wounded number is how much of your dying level you're at, if that makes sense. Once you get to dying four, you're dead, dead. And if you're wounded two and you get put down, you're automatically at dying two or dying three. My bad. Um, so it, it, it can be very deadly in that way. They actually the funny thing is the community has been playing it this one way. Um, and only with the remaster, when people were like, they, they put out the dying rules again, people were like, wait, that, that seems much more deadly. And they're like, no, that's how all, it's always been. And everybody was like, well, that's way too deadly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they actually changed it back. So it's really funny that everybody was playing one way. Um, and then the official way was even deadlier, where basically you would just, you could go down on one, you know, one time, or you could go down just their second time. It was just too much. Um, the other way that it's deadly, I would say, is while I think the their CR balance is better than five E, um, the they're, they're, the creatures have so many so much more abilities, more interesting abilities, and the way that creatures can um, you combine them as a game master. And this is another reason why I don't think it's very game new game master friendly. Um, you know. Uh, when you combine them, like certain abilities or certain environmental effects with certain creatures, um, it can be kind of one of those like cascading failure type of situations. There's a lot more conditions. So things that give you just like minuses on everything. And when you stack those with other things or creatures that impose other things, like other conditions, it can be this kind of like downward spiral of death kind of. Um, so there, there is a little bit of savviness with game masters and building your encounters of, you know, you know think it can be more... It, it can be harder, it can be more deadly than what the, you know, CR balance table is telling you because of these conditions. And that's something that you kind of just learn as you play and as you game master. So I would say it's not like the most deadliest game, but it is far more deadlier than um, D&D, for, for sure. Um, it can be very deadly. And famously, a lot of their APs that they came out with at first were extremely deadly. <laughs> like, they just did not do a good job of balancing things out, or they just didn't know ahead of time. So, yeah. Well, I, obviously, the early adventure paths um, probably were not as play tested as, you know, as they could have been. Um, yes. You know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. So, I, again, it's it's has roots in um, D&D and it's it's, you know, one of those uh, fantasy D20 games. So we can talk a little bit about the mechanic. It's probably very familiar to most people. Um, For sure. Who have played those other games. But there's some unique things, right? Yeah, it, it, it's D20 based, and you have you know your skills and you have your attributes. Um, the 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 main thing here, I mean, first of all, you don't roll for attributes at all. It, it's static attributes, and you don't really have negatives. There was a rule before that's changed now that you that you could take a negative in something, um, but now that's gone. So there's not really negatives. Um, the main difference here, like, say, between D&D, right, or even Pathfinder 1E, is it has this very elegant action system, which yeah, I, yeah. it feels like it was borrowed from Savage Worlds in a way, where you have this three-action system. Everybody has three actions and a reaction. Um, and the different things that you can do, like attacking is always one action. Most spells are two actions. Um, you know, like, th there is some free actions, but most of the time, like, grabbing something or, you know, p taking something out is an action, Right, uh, ingesting a potion is an action. So, uh, and also, and also, moving is an action. Um, right, moving is not a separate thing. It is part. It's of not the a separate free economy. thing. Yeah. yeah. So there's no like dashing. Um, so it, it, it's a very it's a very evocative way uh, action system. I would say like 
you know, it, it's just like, it can be exciting. And that's something as, as they've been develop, developing their classes, like they, they come out with new classes, not all the time, but frequently with new books come out, they'll, they'll introduce a new class. And now with the remaster, they've changed classes. And one thing that they've really come to understand is that their action system is probably the, one of the strongest parts of the system. And, and they use that now to leverage that more. Like before there was stuff like barbarians or rangers. Rangers has this thing where, where they would focus on a foe and they have to spend an action to do that. And then they get like bonuses against that foe. But it's not always fun to do that. Same thing with barbarian. Like using one of those actions isn't very fun. Um, a lot of their new classes, you'll do something, like you'll do an action that activates something and then you'll get an action back. Like you'll, then you'll be able to kind of do something for free so it, it makes it very fun. Basically, what I'm saying is that this whole action system, you, you know, even with moving, there's always these like interesting choices that you make on your turn. Uh, I mean, it's not always, but it's much more interesting than say D and D or Pathfinder One E, you know, where it's much more static. So deciding to move, deciding to get into range, you know, deciding to frighten, you know, intimidate somebody, which is an action. So that's the big thing as far as like the basic mechanics. Um, there's also, they introduce something called hero points, which is like inspiration or bennies in Savage Worlds where you get rerolls, but you always start with them. Um, as far as skills and attributes, uh, sorry, as far as skills and for like attacking, it's a level based system. So you add your level to everything. Um, and then there's kind of different proficiency levels that you ch that either are automatic or you choose. So like you can be untrained and then it goes trained, expert, master, and legendary. And this can be in everything from like your saving throws or your skills or your attacks, right? You're like your skills, your proficiency with martial weapons. So anything that is, that requires a proficiency is always your proficiency level, which I said is like trained is two, expert is four, and then your then you add your level to that as well. So when you're level three, then it's added to three. Um, I think this is kind of a, I don't know if it's a split in the community, but people kind of like this or hate this. There is a variant where you can play without levels. Um, the cool thing about this is that you just get better at time. You know, you just get better by being higher level at everything that you do. Um, sometimes there's like DCs go up with level, but other times there's static DCs. So when you're like a level 15, right, um, you, uh, you're just going to be almost always guaranteed to do something. Um, the, the drawback of this is that like a lot of the low level monsters don't always get, there's they're so much, they do, they do a really good job on monster design and, um, you don't always get to use them all the time, right? Because low level monsters will eventually just be trash. Right. To you, right. right? More so than say something D and D with its bounded accuracy, because all your levels to your skills and all your levels to your attacking, all that stuff, and also level to AC, like everything, adds your level to it. So that's the kind of drawback is is mostly with creatures. I would say is that you don't always get to use all the fun creatures because you know they're just too high level for that. Um, the other really big good uh, big thing here, as far as mechanics, is the crit system, which is besides the action economy is absolutely my favorite thing. Absolutely my, my favorite thing. And this is something that Savage Worlds has too, in a way, which I love, is that um, anytime you are 10 over the, uh, over the... Um, DC. Thank you, over the DC, right? So if you had to get a 15 to get something to hit or 15 to do something and you roll and you get a 25, you've crit, right? And anytime you're 10 and under something, you've critically failed. Um, so it, it makes it so you're not just always relying on the roll of the dice, but the cool thing is when you roll a 20, a natural 20, or you roll a natural one, it like for if in the, um, sorry, when you roll a natural 20, it increases the step that you would 
have already done. So what I mean is like, if you roll a natural 20 and you would have, ex- you would have no- like that end roll, say, say you had a plus 10, right? In whatever you're trying to roll and you rolled a natural 20. So you got a 30. If that would normally be a success, now you've ro- that put that level up to a critical success. So a, a natural 20 always puts it up one step. So even if you roll a natural 20 and say you've crit- you failed, right? The DC was 35, say, and you had a plus 10 and you rolled a natural 20. So you've got a 30, right? So normally that would have been a failure. Now you've put that up one step to a success. So a natural 20 is not always a critical success, but usually it is, you know, because 20 is a high number as well. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with a negative one, like you can still succeed when you roll a one, right? Because, um, it's it just puts a it down one a step, step. lower. So, yeah. yeah, if you, but that usually is not happening, right? Usually it's a failure or a critical failure. But if you're really, really good at something and you're super high level, that one can just be a success or a failure. So it, it, it just makes it, I don't know, I just like it so much better because it really gives you, it like, you feel like when you're good at something, you're rewarded for that. And you feel like when you're powerful, you should be rewarded. And that if somebody is super bad and super low level, they shouldn't necessarily be able to credit these things, right? It's always that weird thing. With um, which is a more narrative thing, I guess. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and then cool. I, I can't really think of anything else. I mean, I, I talked a little about dying before, where the, the big thing with dying is you know you you go down and then you you roll. Um, you start at dying one, and then at dying four, you you die, right? And it's pretty much like a scale as as you go up to dying two, up dying three. It, when you succeed this DC, it's a death throw, pretty much. Um, and then if you succeed, you keep going down. Um, and then when you come back, when somebody heals you, um, you get the wounded condition, which I said. And then, so if you're wounded one, when you go down again, you, you automatically start dying too. Cause it's like that one plus your wounded condition. So that's the kind of like that yo-yo thing that I was talking about. That doesn't really have as much. Um, like once you've gone down three times, you're dead, dead, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I can't really think of any of the, the basic game mechanics, but yeah, that's a, yeah. I think that was a pretty good overview of sort of the some of the key elements that go into it that go beyond just, Hey, it's a D 20 system. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we, so we briefly talked a little bit about character creation. Um, so I, I don't know if there was anything you wanted to kind of talk oh, about with, the, uh, I, I, with that. So, yeah. okay, go ahead. Um, I mean, so the basic of character creation, like I said, it, it's, it has your, you know, you pick your ancestry, then you pick your heritage, which is a, um, sub part of so ancestry could be there's and there's tons of ancestries i mean there's the, all the basics but there's stuff like you know androids or uh, i mean it just gets so weird like flesh warps and um <laughs> uh, kitsunes and gripply which are frog people like it's all over the place right um so you pick your ancestry then you pick your heritage and your heritage can either be kind of the sub ancestry of that thing so like you know the sub uh, elf can have like a and it's not always like the type, like there could, there could be kind of like cave elves or not, I forget all the ones, but not like high elf or old elf or whatever. But also a lot of the things like tieflings, um, which are a different name now, or, you know, dampier or um, the like kind of elemental ones. Those aren't their own ancestry. Those are all heritages. So you can often, you can choose either like the heritages that are kind of belong to your specific ancestry, or you can choose ones like the tiefling. So you could be anything from a human tiefling, but you can also be an orc tiefling, or you could be a cobalt tiefling, right? Uh, it's kind of <laughs> all over the place. Um, and then you pick your background, which is, you know, pretty self-explanatory. It's not, 
it's a little bit more mechanical than D&D where you get like you, you normally get kind of like one or two skills and you get a skill feat, it's called, which is kind of like a little bit of a it's like a mini feat for a skill. Um, and then you get a lore skill that's that's specific to that background. Um, and then you pick your class. Obviously, that's the big one. And you pick your class. So it, there, there's like a there's an order to it. I'm not saying the exact order, but, you know, you first do your your like your ancestry and then you do your ability boost, which I've talked about before. Um, now with the remaster, there's no, you know, they used to have, um, and I can talk a little bit about the remaster now, I, I guess just sure. for, mostly for the remaster, they wanted to get rid of all the OGL stuff. So a lot of the sacred cows from D and D are just completely gone. They've also made some changes. They've updated some classes, but one of those things is, you know, before, like I said, you never rolled for your stats. It was like, you have basically four, you, you have these things called, uh, um, attribute boosts um, and they would be given like, you know, you would get some from your, your ancestry um, where you would maybe have like a plus in something and then you'd have a negative something and then a you know plus in two things, a negative and then a free boost it's called where you could choose any of your attributes. Um, some races, uh, some ancestries like humans just get two free boosts of any attribute. Um, and then your background has a, a, a boot, like a, a specific one that you, like you, ch you choose from two and then a free boost. And then your class has their main boost. So like, you know, a fighter is going to have strength or dexterity. Um, so you choose one there and then you get four free boosts. So if that makes sense. So you have your like ancestry, which are four boosts, uh, sorry, uh, two to three boosts, um, your ancestry, your, uh, background, your class, which is only one boost, and then you get four free boosts. So it's extremely flexible and you can make, you can specifically have the type of character that you want. Um, and I like that also the class has their specific one and they used to, you know, it'd be like 12, it would be like plus two, like a boost would be plus two to a stat. So 12, 14, right. They've totally done away with that because like, why are we, why are we sticking to 12 and 14 when all that matters is the modifiers? So now it's just plus one, plus two, plus three. If you have a plus three in strength, you know, that's plus three, right? It's what the 16 used to be. Um, so you choose that stuff. And then, like I said before, with character creation and advancement, there are these feet buckets. So um, at level one, right, like, like all the martial classes will get one of their class edges. So class edges are the big, the big edges. Those really define how you interact with the game and those kind of give you most of your abilities. Um, there's also ancestry feats, which are kind of, I would say, below class feats in their, in their kind of oomph, right? Um, and then there's also skill feats, which are kind of, like I said, they modify a skill in some way in a little bit. Um, and then when you level up, you kind of flip-flop between those. So like every even level, um, you get a class feat plus a skill feat. And then ancestry feats are like at level three and level five and level nine. They're kind of spread out. Um, and then you'll also get skill boots. Like every class gets... Um, you basically, you get like a certain amount of skills that you can raise to trained. Um, and then every other level after that, you'll get another skill increase. So it doesn't matter what class you're playing. You can always kind of have your two main um, skills. And then after certain levels, you, you're able to boost certain skills up to expert and to master, et cetera. Some classes like rogues get skill boots at every level. Those are the skill monkeys. Um, but again, it, it's, it's really flexible, especially compared to D and D as far as how you want to build your character. And you don't have to worry so much about like, you know, it's not so static. You can, you can be any, right. It, most classes, you have a lot of freedom to kind of double down on a skill that you want to, that, that maybe doesn't normally fit the type of class that you do. Um, the other kind of cool thing I want to bring up here, Carl, before we move on is it, it's called archetypes, which was a kind of a, it, well, it wasn't, it wasn't a, um, 
optional rules. So archetypes were always there. Archetypes are how they handle multi-classing. It's also how they handle um, all the kind of weird stuff that not necessarily a full class. And um, so you can't multi-class like D and D. You you don't you don't you never switch off to a different class. Um, you always have your main class stuff. But archetypes are. Um, there's either multi-class archetypes. So like, say if you start as a fighter and you want to dip into barbarian stuff, um, you could take a barbarian archetype. And all that means is that when you have the level of when you would take a fighter feat, instead you can start taking barbarian feats, barbarian archetype feats, I should say, um, which normally there's the, the initial one, um, which is the, called the dedication feat, which gives you like some stuff. And then a lot of them are like, you can choose from the barbarian feats, but you can only take them like the normal, say at a lot of the feats have level prerequisites. Like you have to be at level 10 or level 12, right? Um, when you're taking them as an archetype, it's usually like half the level. So you can't take the high level stuff that a barbarian would. Um, also what's cool about this is that there's a lot of stuff that you just get natively from your class. So as a fighter barbarian, while you can have some barbarian stuff, you'll never really, you'll always be a fighter first and foremost, right? Same thing with like a fighter sorcerer, right? You'll have some spell casting, but you'll never be a full kind of caster. You'll always be a fighter first. Um, there's also all the weird archetypes, like I said, which are like, you know, anywhere from, uh, I don't know, soul, for, where you have like soul weapons coming out of your body to a pirate, to an herbalist, to a medic, right? It goes, there's so many at this point. Um, the optional rule that I was talking about is called free archetype, um, which was an optional thing that they talked about where you basically give somebody, you give people free archetype feats. So instead of along with their class feats, they also get free archetype feats at every even level. Um, and really at this, at this point of the game, I would say 90% of people play with that just as a rule. It's just a free archetype. It's just a rule because most of the time it, it really wasn't worth it to, um, spend your class feats on archetype feats most of the time. And there was all these cool archetypes. So yeah, 95% of the time, it's just kind of um, a, a rule. So I okay. think that was kind of the basics of character advancement and creation. I don't know if you had any other questions, Carl. Um, not, I mean, not really. I, I, I think the archetype kind of get, it's it just basically yeah. it's, you'll never be as good because it's truly not a first class class. It's yeah. you can grab some pieces from another class, but you'll you know, yeah. it's never. So I, I kind of get that. You know what? That makes a lot of sense to me. It makes it a lot. I, I don't know. If fair is not the right term, but uh, you know, I chose no, to be a barbarian, so I should I should be the best barbarian there is. And, and exactly, you know. So um, and what you said about fair, and that's one thing I should bring up here is that it. And maybe we'll talk about that. Oh, we'll we'll actually save that for the the next segment. But yeah, okay. Uh, so speaking of the next segment, so <laughs> what are the strengths of the system? Uh, and we can talk about, obviously, the, the different GMs, players, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so what do you think are I the mean, strengths? Wh what do you like about it? Yeah, I mean, one of the strengths I would say is the just the, the vast amount of character character creation options that you have available to, to players, for players. Um, well, again, well, not being like too overwhelming or because of the feet buckets, because of the the way they presented it, it's not like you have to completely like, you know, study all this stuff. Like, you, and, and there could be two of the same class and they can be very different. They can feel pretty different, right? Um, right. Because there's so many, because of the different choices that you can have. Um, 
So just the vast amount of character options is really fun to play with, and it makes really unique characters. Another one of the strengths is that it's extremely balanced. Um, and this is both for, I would say, for players and game masters. Um, and that's one of the main kind of tenets of the systems. And like what you said about fairness before is they really, really, really double down on trying to be as balanced as possible. Um, um, which, which is, is a strength, right? In a lot of ways. So there's not like, you know, you can't really min max in this game. There's some stuff. There's obviously some of like the broken builds. Some things are more stronger than others, right? Fighters are in a vacuum, the strongest in combat. Most of the time, I think people also, a lot of people though, overestimate things in, in these vacuums, but, um, I lost my, my thought train of thought for a second. Um, uh, yeah, it's, 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 there's not really any min-maxing. Um, the min-maxing that you do is party composition. Is that with other parties? So you can have like a really good, you know, if parties, because a lot of the, the game is also, they made, it, they made it good to cooperate, right? Supporting people in a lot of different ways. I mean, they've changed the, the aiding of the game, but a lot of abilities and buffs really work together and like the, the kind of like the cohesion, the party cohesion and the way that you can play together. Um, that's where the, the kind of strength where you can be really strong. That's where the min, quote unquote minimaxing kind of can, can be almost, or, you know, I minimaxing isn't the right word there, but it's, yeah, it, it's kind of like you optimize your using party certain abilities and exactly. their abilities yeah, so that they are very synergistic with each other. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and using certain things, Right, like like aiding people can be really powerful. Aiding the fighter, or um, you know, buffing people, or uh, yeah, like or, you know, debuffing, and yeah. So that's a big strength of the system. Another strength I like in this game is is healing. Um, it's extremely generous, and this is this might not be a strength for you, but but I find that it is um, that you don't have to have the cleric, right? Um, because skill healing in the game is so powerful, and there's a lot of ways to gain. Um, I, I probably should have talked about spell casting a little bit, um, but but one of the other things I forgot to mention is there's this whole besides normal spell casting, there's also this thing called focus spells, which are kind of like encounter. And there's also they're not just spell. I mean they're all spells, but some of them are more like abilities. Like rangers get focus spells and monks get focus spells, but they're not really spells, right? Like like monks can get a key strike, which adds extra damage and um, it gives you a plus on your attack. And it's not, so it's not really a spell per se, but it's a focus spell ability. And these are kind of encounter abilities um, where you have a, when you get a focus ability or focus spell, you get a focus point and that's, that's what you use to spend it. So it's different than spell slots. It's different from other things. And when you, and then out of combat, when you rest for 10 minutes, you get a, you get a focus point back. And yet the most you can have are three focus points and uh, with the remaster now, they've changed that. Before, you could only get, like, once you've used, like, say if you used two or three during a combat and then you uh, rested for ten minutes, you would only get one of those back until you got feats later on that gave you, like, two back and then three back. Now they've changed it where you get all your focus points back. So it, they're kind of like encounter powers. So hmm. um, that's, a, that's another thing I forgot to mention, but I also like that as far as the strength of the system is where that, you know, if you're a spellcaster you, and you have these focus abilities or you're a martial character, it just adds some variety and it adds, like, you'll always have something to do. You know what I mean? Um, you'll always have kind of a, and they're, they're not as powerful as spells at the same level, but they also automatically strengthen themselves. So you don't have to like, you know, put spell slots in whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Um, 
as I said before, they've, they've, it's really tight math. So that's when I talk about balance. It's just really tight math for game masters. Um, it has a lot of interesting stuff going for it. Like all the conditions are really interesting. Um, like I said before, the action economy is really interesting. Um, the creature design is really interesting. I think the writing, it, the books, you get really good value for all the books. They're usually packed with content and they're packed with really good art. And so, um, you know, it, yeah. So all that stuff I definitely think is a strength of the system. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. I don't know. I mean, you, you played the game. What, what, what would you say you remember liking the most from when you played it? Uh, I, and I think this is, I played a sorcerer. And so I yeah. can't remember. You'll have to remind me now what the, but the fact that he had a spell that he could pretty much cast, that's that all the time. The focus spell. That's the focus yeah. spell, right? So I, I yeah. really like that, you know, he, he didn't blow a slot every time, but he had something that he could bring to bear. And it turned out to be very powerful, actually, in the game that we ran yeah. because he could he could take advantage of that and it made a big difference to like these hordes of things that were coming after us um <laughs> yeah i forget what the i forget what the spell was but it was it was well uh, you were an ele you were an elemental sorcerer so yeah, they have yeah. like a strike they have like a, an, a fling spell and then they also have like they get an aoe spell later on so they're like the blaster sorcerer yeah. but it was cool because like you had a cool theme of Right, he was like an artist, so it was like your paints and yeah, stuff. It was cool. Yeah, it was fun. That was yeah. fun for sure. So, so it's got a lot of strengths. I think it's a great system. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, even though I've only played it a few times, it was it was pretty clear. And so, let's talk about the weaknesses. Uh, you know, other than the, it's a six hundred and eighty page book. I keep going. It's like so <laughs> long. It's such a big book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, when I was reading it, it. It took a lot to get through the whole thing. So what For what sure. are some of the weaknesses of the system? I mean, it is crunchy. <laughs> is that a, you know, uh, what would you say? So Yeah, and again, I, I don't think it's too crunchy. Like, there's not the other games I've seen which are, like, too crunchy. But one of the weaknesses of the system, funny enough, is how tight the balance is and how tight the math is. I know that said that was one of the strengths, but it really is one of the weaknesses. A lot of stuff was, I, I'm not going to say nerfed, but they they lowered, like, a lot of people come from D&D, especially magic users, if you came from D&D, are not happy playing magic users in Pathfinder, especially at the lower levels. And, and I think this is, this is something they wanted to do, right? Because magic in 5e is extremely powerful and arguably the most powerful thing you can do. Um, and, um, and they really kind of capped that power. I mean, later on, it gets much better for spellcasters in Pathfinder. Um, but... Um, Oh, but yeah, but yeah, but like it, it, it's, it's, it's much weaker. And one of the things I forgot, I forgot one of the strengths of the system I should have said in spellcasting and other things is, remember when you talked before about the way criticals work? One of the other really, really big things I love about the system and one of the strengths of the system is that it's, is there's not, there's a, um, there's usually a success, um, like at most spells and other things, even other actions, like especially like some of the, um, you know, normal martial actions or other things that you can do are not just success or failure. There, there'll be a success thing that happens. There'll be a critical, critical success thing that happens. There'll be a failure effect that happens. And there'll often be a critical effect that happens. And I love this when it comes to spell casting because often when you, when you do a leveled spell and you, and you fail, either you failed the roll or they've resisted, often something still happens, right? The, if, if it's a damage spell, they usually take half damage on a failure. And if it's a control spell or something, they usually have something happen to them, but only for like one round. So it makes 
while I said one of the weaknesses of it is that spellcasters feel much weaker, especially at the earlier levels. I still like it better than D&D because when you, a lot of things in D&D, while they're extremely powerful, it's often save or suck, right? Uh, you spend your high-level spell, and if they pass it, nothing happens, and you feel bad. Right. But when you do that in Pathfinder, even if it's a failure, um, you still get some value out of it, which is something I love about it. So while a lot of people come into it and kind of hate spellcasters in the, in the earlier levels, um, that part is good. But again, going back to the weaknesses of it, I, I sometimes think they are too obsessed with balance and too obsessed with being the math type. Um, also, there's like, when we talk about spells, there are too many spells. <laughs> there are too many spells that are pretty much, you know, there's all these spells that do all these different things, but a lot of times, and this is included with, sorry, this is also included with some things like skill feats, which people often are like, I, this is, I hate this stuff. And I always also rem remind new players of like, they're not supposed to be that powerful. They're, they're just like little change to skills because people will often don't know what to take because nothing really interests them, them. But that is actually a problem because there's often like, there's too many skill feats that don't really do anything and, or do just such a minimal thing. And same thing with spells. There's like too many spells that don't really do anything. And there's, Often, clearly, certain feats or certain things that are just better all most of the time, where there's a lot of stuff that I would say is just kind of garbage level, right? Which is almost just them like padding the book up in some ways. Um, and especially when it comes to some ancestries, like while there is a lot of cool ancestries that have different cool things that feel different, a lot of times they're just like, you know, they're, they're, they get so descriptive with their like, oh, it's like, you know, I, I'm blanking out a little bit, but it, the scripture will be something like crazy, like your flesh, your flesh can rend asunder and swallow somebody. And you're like, oh, this must be really cool. What does it do? And then it's like they they have a minus one on like grapple attempts or something like it, it. Often the effects are extremely weak to what the description is. Right. They mm. go so overboard with their descriptions and then you're kind of let down. Um, and, and and oftentimes I'm just like, why? Make it be cooler. Like oftentimes the problem with Pathfinder, especially at the lower levels, is you're just, you don't feel cool enough because the things are just like not that exciting or they just don't do as much. And I'm, I, a lot of times I'm just like, just just let us have this, right? <laughs> so, right. and I think a lot of people do agree that they, they while it's extremely tuned, I think they over-tuned it as far as the balance department too much. And that is something that a lot of the community has felt. And I've been playing Pathfinders since the playtest. And I've I and part of it, I've got I've had a little fatigue from that part, if I'm being honest, Carl, of like, I just want to play and feel a little bit cooler or feel a little bit more excited by these things. So, and and so it's just kind of a letdown a, or just too much balance. So yeah. there's always the thing in D D where we talk about, you know, the the level of play where the maximum level of play is like fifth level through ninth level, yes. and that's where the sweet spot is. Is there it sounds like there's a sweet spot a little bit in Pathfinder um, getting past that early where you're not cool enough. When do you become cool enough? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I love, I think five to 12 is probably the sweet spot. I would say one of the good things comparing it to 5e is it does handle high level play better than D&D does. Um, but, but, but going back to one of the weaknesses of the system, um, they have this, there's this really weird thing they do with certain classes and as far as training proficiency. So the, I'll explain a little bit. So the ba the basic martial proficiency for for weapon attacks, right, is 
when, when you're trained, like even other classes like wizards or um, if you if you have a certain ancestry, you can get trained in weapon types or, you know, wizards have their certain weapon types. And from level one, everybody, you know, you all start at train. So you're all kind of at the same level, right? It's two plus your level plus your attribute often. Um, uh, yeah. And then at level five, the base thing is uh, the base for marshals is at level five. They go up to expert in their weapon training where fighters actually fighters start higher. They start at expert and they get to master. And but that's that's fighters. Right. That's what fighters do. That's why they're actually so powerful in, in, in pathfinders, because they have this higher proficiency. Um, and going back to like, you know, the way that DCs work, and especially with the way crits work, having a plus one or plus two in something is huge in the system. Um, but go, getting back to that, there are these really weird. I don't even know what to call it. There are these really weird like levels and it's all over the place where you said is there a sweet spot. And the funny thing is that like some classes have different sweet spots than other classes. And, you know, while like like some more like gish classes, like the alchemist, um, which is one of the, known to be one of the worst classes in the game. I've played a bomber. I actually think they're not as bad as people think, but they're it's because like they're primarily a pretty much a martial class that has all these potions and stuff, right? But they're still, they still throw their, the main way of them doing damage is by like throwing stuff. Um, and they start at, you know, they have a lower proficiency. Like they don't get the expert at five that like say the rogue does or the ranger does. And so there are these weird dead spots for certain classes where you're not at the same level as other classes for your things. Um, and it just kind of, it feels bad <laughs> and it's not fun. <laughs> and you're, you, you feel that, you know, that, that, that not having that plus two is a big deal. So, and, and then it's weird with like spell and spellcasters, like their spell attacks, they don't get that at five either. They get that at seven, um, including spell DCs too. So spell attacks in the game are just known to be bad because of that. Also, one of the weaknesses is that like, there are these, uh, as far as magic weapons go, they have this rune system where um, you get plus one. One rune gives you a plus one to your weapon, and one rune doubles your damage dice. And um, in the base game, it's it's just something you have to buy. But because the math of the game assumes that you have these things, so if the game master, this is something that new game masters might get tripped up on, if they don't give players these things, then it's it starts to be too hard and, and it, the encounters go against the players. So there's this optional rule called automatic bonus progression where it just happens automatically and that's the way that it should be in the game. Um, so like I said before, there's like, the math is so tight, so if you don't have certain things at certain levels, then it, the encounter balance will be off, right? So yeah, I know I kind of talked a lot about it around here, but um, yeah, the, the, the proficiency system, it's a, it's a strength, but also a weakness because of the kind of like mismatched levels. Okay. Um, think I, think I, I think I get it. A little too balanced, okay. a little, a few mismatches in the way a class progression goes. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. So um, how are we doing? We're doing good on time so far. So what's your favorite part yeah. of uh, running it? Yeah. Um, so running it, uh, I mean, th there's a lot of tools for game masters, a ton of tools. Um, there's a lot of cool systems there. Um, I like how they, the, one of the things that they did is cool is they, they put these tags on everything. And one of the things they did is for rarity, for like abilities and items, um, like common or rare. And these aren't things that like necessarily makes it harder to get, but it means that like, 
based in there in the setting, it's something that's not as common and that you should ask your game master before taking it. So they, they really thought of game masters here of like, of, of making the game master, not always the arbiter of like fun in these, in these cases where like, you know, it's not, it's not up to the game master to say no, it's up to the game master to say yes, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of like that stuff built in. Got it. Um, got it. Where the game master doesn't have to be the bad guy, they can only have to be the good guy, if that makes sense. Um, right, right. Um, uh, and for the game masters, it is very balanced, and you don't have to worry about, this is, again, going to the strengths, and the strengths of being balanced as far as running it, you don't have to worry about experienced players breaking the game, right? Like, most of the things <laughs> that they're going to do, they can't min-max, so they're not just going to be that one player that's so powerful, um, it also does, there's a lot of tools there to like help with sharing the spotlight, which I like. Um, and there's just so many cool monsters, Carl. There, there's so many cool monsters that, that are just a lot of fun for the game master to do. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I, I would say, I mean, just compared to like D and D, those are probably the main things I would say as far as the, the, the part, the favorite part of running it. Um, I can't really think of anything else that specifically, um, they do a really good job with like lore and um, like how you handle lore in the game, which I like too. So yeah, that's probably my favorite part of, of running it is that um, it's definitely better for me than, than D and D um, for sure. So what about playing it? I, I, I get, I have a feeling, but um, so what about playing it? What makes you, <laughs> well, what's uh, your feeling? I, what, I want to hear Cause you played a little bit. What's your feeling? I, I like the, I like the options that are there, um, yes. even though it's, you know, it added a little complexity, but when you were working through it, it's like, there's a lot of, um, and, and one of the things I like about Savage Worlds and not to turn it into Savage Worlds is there's so many options yeah. and you can pick and choose them and, and build what you want. And it was really nice to have that, that ability and the three action economy makes so much sense to me as far as a player. You know, yeah. you can decide the things you want to do, and then it separates things in. I think um, there's combat, there's adventuring, there's exploration. Yeah, and it, uh, and there's kind of keeps yeah. things consistent. And, and and as a player, you kind of know what you're doing and, and what you can do in different stages of the game. So that's what I like about it. Oh, you're absolutely right. And that's something, I'm glad you brought that up. I totally forgot about that in the basic mechanics and also about running it, is that they've separated a lot of stuff into... Um, like you said, there's encounter, there's encounter, there's different modes. There's encounter mode, there's exploration mode, and then there's downtime mode, basically. And there's different, like, a lot of the character options that you take are usually encounter-based, but there is things that you do in exploration mode. And one of the things that I really like, as far as this is also goes back to running it, Carl, is that um, exploration mode has these exploration actions. And so when you're running exploration, this is like, you know, encounter mode is when you had to do stuff in rounds, right? Where exploration mode is stuff that's more done in like minutes or hours. This could be something like going through a dungeon or exploring a forest, things like that. And there's these very specific exploration actions of like searching or, um, uh, <laughs> I'm spacing out a little bit, searching or scouting or uh, like, and, and they're very specific. So, you know, instead of the player always going like, okay, I check for traps here, I check for traps here. This one player is doing searching, that's what they're doing, right? They're searching for stuff like hidden doorways and traps. Another player might be um, holding up their shield the whole time. Another player might be, you know, uh, scouting ahead so they're giving a bonus. So yeah, like you said, that's both a, one of my favorite parts of running it and one of my favorite parts of playing it. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. It, the amount of options that you can choose from, and, and they're so flavorful. Not all of them, right? Like, if there is the, ch the problem of things that are flavorful, then the actual mechanics not necessarily matching that flavor, but there is a lot of really cool flavor. It's one, definitely one of my favorite parts of playing it. Um, the, 
the, there, there's just a lot of cool abilities. No matter what you're playing, it's not boring, right? Um, there, there's definitely some classes that have been weaker and that need work, and they've been working on that. But like even as you know, fighters in this game, in D and D five e, I always said, fight Battlemaster Fighter. I don't, if people haven't played five e, Battlemaster Fiver Fighter, which um, basically a Battlemaster Fighter gets these maneuvers that they get, which are something they can do when, during combat. They can like trip. They can add this dice on to trip people, or add a dice on to disarm them, or add a dice on to shove people, or to give somebody else an action. That should have been the base fighter ability. And what I love about Pathfinder fighters, besides their they're being so strong for their chance of hit, is that their feats are just so cool. Right. They get really interesting feats that go to styles of like, you know, hit somebody and trip them or um, have a one handed weapon. They can hold a two hands and switch their arms or grab somebody like there's just all the, these features. Just they're compelling and interesting. And not all the classes do it, but a lot of the classes have these compelling features that make combat fun. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my favorite part of playing it for sure. And just again, so. Uh, the openness, much like Savage Worlds, Carl, the, the openness of I can play a orc fighter, but, you know, invest my skills into crafting or something if I wanted to. Or invest my skills into knowing about the arcane, you know. I might not have the best intelligence, although I can't probably could have a plus one or plus two. But that's just how I chosen because that's my background. So there's a lot of flexibility in making interesting characters yeah. or doing, you know, you don't always have to fight the system as much as you have to do in like D&D or other D20 games. Yeah, it welcomes you to be interesting. Sure, yeah. sure. So I'm going to flip this up a little bit and, but, and talk a little bit more right now because uh, from a time standpoint, would yeah, you change anything? What kind of house rules um, do you use? Well, <laughs> I think I've talked about this a little bit. I mean... <clears throat> Uh, we, we've mentioned the remaster a little bit, and the remaster has done a lot of stuff that I like. Um, again, I, I, I think there, there's a lot of house rules that I, I mean, not, there's a lot of, not house, setting rules that I think should be, just be standard, like free archetype, um, uh, bonus, uh, automatic bonus progression. Although for me, my house rule of bonus, automatic bonus progression is you, you get the, the plus ones to your hit, you get the plus one, you get the double damage for free, you get the plus one to your, to your armor for free, but don't give them the, the, the skill bonuses. Um, that just should be separate or like perception bonuses. Um, another kind of changes, like I said, I, I mean, well, I, the overabundance of, uh, you know, balance, it's not something that I could really change because that is the whole game. So while I don't right. really like it, I, it's not something that I could really change. The other house rules that I, I definitely house rule the way hero points work. Um, I like it kind of savage rule style. Um, one of the things that I've seen, so normally everybody starts with one, I can't remember the normal rules now, it's one or two hero points, and then you get them when, you know, you do something. But I like, I like a lot of the variant where you start with one, and then every hour that you play, you could just get another one. I just think it's better, and the, the, the game master doesn't have to worry about it. And much like Savage Worlds, Savage Worlds, I like it where, I think, I can't remember now, but the, the normal way that you play, I think, is like you, you roll and take the new result, um, or something like that, where... And it might even be like you roll beforehand, but you spend a hero points to get a reroll, but you have to take the new result. I like it in Savage Worlds where you, you just take the best, right? You yeah, can use a hero yeah. point and you take the best unless you have a critical failure. Then you're stuck with the critical failure. So that's that's the main house rule that I do. Um, otherwise, as far as changes, I mean, like I said, the problems I have with it aren't something you can really change, change. There's other house rules for classes, but in general, I think those three are the best just in general. There's other ones like there's tweaks that I would do with classes, but that's not something I'm going to talk about now. Um, so, yeah. 
Okay. So it sounds, I mean, you know, we have a question here on the list that's like, is it rewarding running it and playing over campaign, many campaigns? I mean, I don't, yes. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's intuitively obvious that that, that falls into that category of it's, I, it's fun to run, it's fun to play, and, and it's great for campaigns because of that character progression yes. that, you, that you get and, and the flavor that it provides. It has excellent longe longevity, and that's a real big strength of it, uh, is, is its longevity is good. And like I said, high-level play is, is very much possible in the game. So it's very, if you want to do a long campaign, you, c you almost couldn't do it with a better system. Um, you can really draw it out and have you know, a lo very long campaign. Um, very cool. I just quickly want to talk a little bit about the remaster. I mean, we have a little bit more time. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about they remaster. Did. And like I said, and, uh, we brought it up before, but uh, most of the stuff they did was just to get rid of the OGL, right? After the whole OGL debacle with Wizard of the Coast, um, they, come out, they came out with their own, their orc system, their orc license, I mean, and they just wanted to get rid of OGL stuff, which was also just, like I said, getting rid of a lot of these sacred cows. So like ability, you know, not just having a, you know, having those ability numbers they got rid of. Alignments are gone, which I actually really like. Um, yeah, I don't ever I, like I, the alignments. Yeah. Alignments aren't great, but they still have, they have, they have this really good, interesting system now where um, there's still alignment damage called spirit damage. And if you're a cleric, you can sanctify yourself with either like the upper planes or the lower planes. So they, they, they have this cool workaround um, that I really like. Um, some of the other stuff, I'm trying to remember now. Um, some of the other kind of sacred cows are gone. Um, um, yeah, they've overdone their crafting system a little bit. They've changed a lot of the spells, obviously. A lot of the, um, oh, spell. There's no more like spell level. It's now spell ranks, so it's much easier. Like it's not like, it's not confusing where you would have like, I'm this level, this is my spell level at this level. So they, they change it to spell ranks, which is kind of a, minor change. Um, they also made everything have universal spellcasting proficiency. So before you'd have to get like specific, like occult or divine. And that would be like, you couldn't intermingle them. Now you just always use your highest proficiency, which makes like multi-classing better, like and taking other archetypes. Hmm. Um, got it. Yeah. And, and the rest of the stuff is just like, they, they did name changes. So they just got rid of the OGL. So, um, I guess that, yeah, getting rid of a lot of those kind of old, dinosaurs from D&D, &D, and then a lot of the other ones were just name changes to their original stuff or just to get away from the OGL. Cool. So um, final thoughts. Final thoughts I, on it. it. It's still one of my favorite systems. I would say i become a little bit more jaded now over... I, how long has it been now? I think it's been like four years or something. Um, I, there's a little bit of burnout just from, like I said, kind of that overabundance of balance. But it's still one of my it's still my go-to fantasy system, and it's still just a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think you can do better at this moment as far as a D twenty fantasy experience. Um, I, I think that I'll bring this up again. I think it can seem more overwhelming than it is, if that makes sense, Carl. Like it, because like if you just follow the way that it works, you know, there is all these options. But unlike Pathfinder one e, which had these like all these like things that combined in these weird ways. And there's all these different books, like because of the resources that are available, because of all the apps now, because of Nethys online, because of the way that's structured, it is, it, it really is not as complicated as it seems to make a character and to go through your leveling up stuff, you know, and to actually play the game. If the game master knows what they're doing, then as a player, it's, it's not that complicated to actually play the game. And it's the crunchiness is, is, is not that bad. And when you play online with Foundry, it's it's excellent because they do so much automation. So um, 
I recommend, yeah, if, if you can get into a, if you can get into a beginner, a beginner box game or a beginner, you know, the community is very welcoming um, on Foundry. And if as a player, it's free to, to do Foundry. Um, I highly recommend, you know, trying it out for sure. Yeah, I, I think um, I don't play a lot of d and I haven't played a lot of Pathfinder, but I think I enjoyed my Pathfinder, recent Pathfinder experience more than I enjoyed the D&D experience. But um, that could just yeah. been the game, could have been the Game Master, whatever. But I, I certainly enjoyed the Pathfinder 2E um, because I used to do D and D three point five back in the day, and I don't think I would yeah. be saying the same thing if we were if it was still <laughs> the same as uh, Pathfinder one. But um, yeah, very cool, very cool. Um, so I, I really appreciate. It. I think that was a lot, really good overview. I know a lot of people know Pathfinder, but I think there's a lot of people in the D and D sphere who don't recognize yeah, the, the, how good yeah. of a system it is and something that they should try. So, um, so I, I think that's a great take on it. And with that, I'll say thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hopefully you got something out of it. Remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com to learn about our other projects and things we're working on. Contact, support us, all that good stuff. Email GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com if you have a question, need advice, have some feedback, um, just want us to adjudicate some differences of opinion, whatever. We are all over it, and we would enjoy doing it. And we haven't had mail recently, so if you were thinking about sending mail... Now is a great time to send mail because I'd love to have some more mail to talk about on the show with questions. So um, if you like the show, hey, really would love positive reviews, um, you know, positive feedback, you know, suggestions. We'd love that, too. Um, so once again, um, this is Carl with Eric. And as I always say, say goodbye, guys. Without James here, I'll say goodbye, guys. And I always guys. say, uh, happy gaming. <laughs> <laughs>